Such an awesome song, especially before you get up to speak on the word. That is the song you want to sing. Um, so let's. My name is Michael Garo. I'm one of the teachers here at the school, and it's a joy to have this time with you. And we'll begin our time with prayer. Father, we. That's our prayer right now. That you would speak to us. That you would plant your word deep within us. My, my prayer, Father, is that you would cause your word to come alive. You, you said that your word is a living word, sharper than a two-edged sword. And I ask, Father, that your word would, would go deep, that it would unveil, that it would reveal, that it would expose where we really stand before you, that we might all walk in truth. That we might know. Father, we, we ask this and we commit our time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've been thinking about this conference for some time. Uh, back in May, I took a little personal retreat, a few days, and I was not thinking about this conference, but during that retreat, it just, out of the blue, it just came to me, do this for the conference. You know, I was just hit on this this point right here. And since then, I've been thinking about this and thinking about this idea. What does it mean to love God with all of our heart? And the question that I w- really want us to ask ourselves this morning is, do you love God? Do I love God with all that I am? That's that's it. That's that's the one question that I want us to think about this morning. It's an important question because your answer to that question will reveal and will expose whether or not you know God, whether or not you have a relationship with God because the reality is most people don't love God. Do you know that? Most people don't love God and if they don't love God, as we heard with Mr. Harris's session, there's really only one other option, you love yourself. If you don't love God, you love yourself. And that self-love leads to all sorts of other twisted loves. Love of money, love of fame, love for career, love of things, love of people, but in a way, you know, I love what they can do for me. It's self-love in the end. All kinds of twisted love. But love for God is something completely different. Love for God is what defines a Christian, is what characterizes a follower, a true follower of Jesus Christ. And so we want to ask ourselves this question, do we love God? One of my big concerns in this conference is, as I, as I stand here before you guys, one of my big concerns for you is, I want you to know where you stand in your relationship with God don't want you to be in any way deceived in any way. Because ultimately at this moment, you either love God with your whole being or you love yourself with your whole being. There's really no middle ground. You either have a total allegiance to God or you have a total allegiance to yourself. That's the reality. You either trust trust God entirely or you trust yourself. You're either totally His or you're totally your own. I love the, the name of this conference. I've always loved the title of this conference because it expresses the, the attitude of a true follower of Jesus Christ. 
totally God's, totally belonging to Him. Do you love God with your whole being? The question is a helpful one because it cuts through a lot of confusion. Uh, Mr. Wallace Francis was talking about a lot of confusion in our day. And I think one of the big confusions in our day is what is a Christian? Sometimes we think being a Christian is believing certain things about God, even confessing certain things about God. Good things. You know, the gospel, that Jesus is the Son of God. He came to this earth. He died for me. For me, a sinner. He rose again. He's seated at the right hand of God. You can have great orthodoxy. You can confess it. You can claim it. You can say it. It doesn't make you a Christian. Some people think being a Christian is has to do with religious practices, religious activities, going to church, reading your Bible, praying, being involved in ministry, you know, going on a mission trip. Those are all great things, but it doesn't make you a Christian. Some people connect being a Christian with being a good person, being a good moral person. I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I'm an honest guy. I'm a good guy. I'm a Christian. But see, the problem with all of those things is you can go to church and read your Bible and pray. You can believe all the right things about God. You can be a great person. You can... It's not hard to pretend to be a Christian. And it's not hard to get everyone around you to think that you're a Christian. And what's scary is it's not too hard for you to deceive your own self that you're a Christian. But the problem with this list that I've just mentioned is it's possible to do religious activities and be a moral person and to believe all the right things about God and everything that's said in the Bible and not love God with your whole being. It's possible. It's possible to, to check all those things off the list and live for yourself and do your own thing. And there's a lot of people in the church who are doing just that. And that's sad. And that's scary. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Love for God. Complete love for God is what marks a Christian, a true follower of Jesus Christ. Do you love God with your whole being? That's a huge question. Do you love God supremely? So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to go to a very familiar passage. It's very short. Matthew chapter 22. And this is where we... This is going to be our text. This is Jesus, the life of Jesus. It's the Gospel of Matthew. It's at the end of Jesus' ministry. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, there comes this time where the religious leaders really want to try to, they want to try to stick some mud to Jesus. And so they come to him with questions, tough questions. And they want to trip him up in his words. And, you know, they, they ask him questions so that hopefully he'll answer in the wrong way and they can accuse him and they can get him out of the way. That's the goal. And so you've got all this series of questions and we're going to just look at one of these. We're looking at verse 34. Okay? 
verse 34, chapter 22 of Matthew. And we read, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. So he's just answered one question, but now we've got some more. They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Know what they're doing. They're, they're trying to get him to trip him up, right? And here's the question. Here's the million-dollar question, the tough question. What does he ask him? Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now think about that question. Which is the great commandment in the law? It's a little bit like asking, what is the most important thing I need to be about in my life? What is the greatest, what, what matters most in life? Now you could ask ten different people that question and get ten different answers, right? So it's a tricky question, you know. What's the most important thing in life? What is, the, what is the thing that I should focus on most in life? And know what Jesus answers. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. So here you have, I mean, just think about this picture for a moment. It's just, it's just incredible. Here you have this man, this lawyer, who knows the word, but he's just a man. And he's asking Jesus, who is the Son of God, Jesus, who is God, he doesn't realize it, but there is God in the flesh right in front of him. And he asks God a question, and God quotes his own word. (laughs) He answers by quoting his own words. Here is the living, the inspired, the God-breathed word. It couldn't be more God-breathed at this moment. God is breathing it out. And what does he say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the foremost, the first commandment. Whoa. What is Jesus saying? He's saying there's no greater aim in life than this right here, to love God with your whole being. This is why you were created. This is your purpose in life. If you've ever wondered, what is my purpose in life? What am I on this earth for? Like, why am I even here? Why do I exist? Jesus is giving you the answer right here. You exist. You are alive today to love God with everything that's in you, with the entirety of your being. That's why you're alive. Isn't that amazing? But there's an implication here. Jesus is also saying that if you aim at anything other than loving God with your whole heart, you are aiming at second best. You are aiming at something secondary. So here it is. Here's the first. Here's the foremost. Love God with your whole being. You can't aim at anything higher than that. Do you believe that? Do you realize that this morning? That you can't aim at anything higher than that? This is what a follower of Jesus Christ is characterized by. This is what they aim at. So here's the question again. Do you love God with your whole being? That's the question we want to think about. Well, you might be asking yourself the question, well, what does it mean to love God? What does that mean? So we want to answer that question. I've got two big points I want to make, and you've got the handout, right? So here's the two big points. First is the priority of loving God. We 
want to answer the question, what is Jesus even saying here? Like, what does it mean to love God? But the second point we want to make is the possibility of loving God. Is this even possible? And if it's possible, how do you go about doing this? We want to answer that question. Two big questions we want to address. First of all, what is God? What is Jesus saying here? What does this mean to love God? Well, first note that it is a command. It's actually a very gracious command. But note that it's a command. You shall love. He's commanding. He's telling you, love God with your whole being. It's, in other words, love for God is our first and most important duty as human beings. Love for God is your most important, it's your first and most important duty as a human being. It should be the first thing on your agenda every day. Love God with your whole being. It's your greatest task. It's your greatest job. It's number one. But it's not easy. There's something deep within us that causes us to not react to that command with, oh, great, goody, I want to love God. There's something in us that tends to react with like a, ugh, I don't know about that. And it's a little bit, we react a little bit like when our parents tell us to clean our own room. Like, ugh, I don't want to do that. Or even worse, if somebody, uh, you know, let's say somebody comes to you and, and, and says, you must love cockroaches. Ugh. Like, who wants to do that, you know? Like, yuck. Right? There's that kind of this response uh, within us. Um, why do we respond that way? Why do we respond that way to this command? Well, let me give you two reasons. The first is we don't have a right understanding of God. We misjudge God. Do you realize that ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since Eve doubted God's goodness and kindness and generosity, there's something in the human heart that doubts, that is suspicious of God. God, you don't really care about me. God, you don't really love me. God, you're not really good. The reality is, if you don't trust God, you won't love God. If you don't believe he's good, you won't love him. Right? There's this suspicion. That's one reason why we kind of react with this. Ugh. The other reason is because because of Adam and Eve's sin, we were all born sinners. Do you realize that? We inherited a sinful nature. And that sinful nature causes us to see the whole world in a distorted way. It's like the whole world's turned upside down. And for us, evil looks good. And good looks evil. And everything's distorted. Like kids, they're out there. They're selling ice cream during the afternoon, so you may have met them. My kids, they like to play the opposite game. And here's how the opposite game goes. Whatever I say, I mean the opposite. It's a pretty simple game. And you can imagine how confusing conversations get and how distorted they get. Because everything I'm saying, I'm saying the opposite, you know. They like to play along until mom and daddy step in and say, hey, let's stop. This is getting out of control. <laughs> but sin causes us to play the opposite game in a sense, right? Sin causes us to be blind to who God is. It, it causes us to see everything in a distorted way. Here's the reality. Here's how we ought to be seeing things. 
God is the most wonderful, most beautiful, most glorious of all beings. He's the most generous, the most kind of all beings. God is three persons in one God. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For all eternity, those three beings have been loving each other and fellowshipping with each other and enjoying each other and thriving together. And in there, they wanted to share that glory with others. So they, they created a universe and they created human beings and they lavished upon human beings everything they could lavish. They blessed human beings, us, with everything that they could bless us with apart from actually making us gods like them. And what did we do? We rebelled against them. Right? We spurned them. We, we turned our backs on God. We disobeyed God. But think about that. God is good. God is good. And when we're commanded here, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your whole being, that is the kindest, most gracious, most generous, most blessed, most happy command you could ever get. It's a little bit like someone saying, here's the greatest command I'm going to ever give you. Here's the most important thing you should ever do in life. Love sugar. Love sweets. You know, whatever it is your favorite. Oh, well, I could do that. You know, that's not too hard. I mean, that, that's how we should almost be thinking about this, right? This Love the most lovable person ever is. Love the, 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 the greatest, the most exalted, the most beautiful beings there ever, there ever has been. In other words, if we understand what Jesus is saying here correctly, he's not just saying you have love for God is something I have to do. He's saying, love for God is something I get to do. Yeah. Love for God is something we get to do. It's not just an obligation. Oh, i got to love God. It is a privilege. It is the greatest privilege that is being offered to you right now. You have an opportunity to love the God who created you, who created this universe, and who loves you with everything that's in him. That's incredible. Okay, but we still haven't answered the question. What does it mean to love God? Well, love is a difficult word to define. We use it in all sorts of varied ways. Mr. Harris was talking uh, the other day about how the Greeks have different words for love. Remember that? We just have one word, so we love everything. You know, We love cats, we love our parents, we love ice cream, we love dogs, we love friends, we love sunsets, we love it. You know, so we use it in, very, in varied ways, right? But let's define a few things here. We're not talking about love for things. Is that clear? We're talking about love for a person. A love for God. Secondly, we're not talking about a love for an equal or a fellow human being. We're talking about a love for the supreme being who is even outside of this universe. The eternal being. So it's going to be a unique love. Does that make sense? that we're talking about right here. So how can we define that love? And I have it there in your notes. 
This is my attempt to define this love with which we are to love God. And here's where your blank comes in. So listen carefully. Love for God refers to a relationship. It refers to a relationship with Him. That is, this is a love for a person. It is a relational love. It is something that is reciprocal. That means it goes back and forth. I love him, he loves me, I love him, he loves me. It's, it's a relational love. We're going to talk more about this in a moment. So it is a relationship with God that is characterized by two things. First of all, and here's your next blank, an unrivaled affection. An unrivaled affection. Now what is affection? What do I mean by affection? What I mean by affection, I, I'm talking about that part of us that values things and desires things and chooses them and wills. I have a son who, a year ago, he desired a hoverboard. And he, he valued it and he desired it and he set his goal to buy a hoverboard. And so he washed lots of cars and he bought the hoverboard. It's that, that mechanism deep down inside that sees something and values it. Well, to love someone is to ascribe the appropriate worth to a person. Does that make sense? I value them for who they are. Well, since God, since there's no one more valuable than God, by definition, right? He is the highest of beings. He is the most valuable of beings. Then it follows that we should love Him more than anything else. Doesn't it? We should value Him more than anything else. So to love God is to value God. It's to delight in God. It's to enjoy God, right? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To love God is to worship Him. It's to recognize His beauty and go, wow, glorify Him. It is to boast in Him. An unrivaled affection not just an affection, but an affection that is, that is the highest affection in our hearts. Does that make sense? That's first. But secondly, it is a relationship with God that is characterized by an unrivaled affection, but also by a supreme or an absolute loyalty. An absolute loyalty. That's your next blank. To love God is to be loyal to God. To be loyal to to his word, to be loyal to his will. When the Bible speaks of loving God, essentially you can do the study, when it speaks of loving God, it almost always couples it with obeying God. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And so to love God is to be loyal to him, loyal to what he says, loyal to his will. And this is why it's impossible to love God and live for yourself. It's impossible to love God with your whole heart and do your own thing. Go your own way. Follow your own will. Love yourself. By definition, to love God is to be committed to Him and devoted to Him. It means to prefer His will above your own will. Think about that. If you do not prefer God's will above your own will, you do not love God supremely this morning. 
To love God is to love His will above your own will. It is to prefer His will above your parents' will. It is to prefer His will above your friend's will and all the peer pressure, what Wallace Francis was talking to us about. It is to prefer God's will above your boss's will, above your government's will. You see, it's the supreme allegiance to Jesus Christ. It is a total commitment and loyalty to Him. So what is love? It's a relationship, it's reciprocal, that is characterized by what? Unrivaled affection and complete and absolute loyalty. You with me so far? So I value Him supremely and I'm committed to Him entirely. All right, what does it mean to love God though with my whole being? Note that Jesus says here, we do it with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. Well, that means at least two things. Okay, First of all, and here's the next blank, it means that we love him with every part of our being. With every part of our being. What, what Jesus is doing here is just stacking words upon each other. Heart, soul, mind. They're somewhat interchangeable words. It's just trying to get they're, they're synonymous words saying every part of you. That is, love for God is not something you do at the periphery of your life. It is not just something, you don't just give God your leftovers. You know, if I have enough energy, I'll love you a little bit. Love for God is not a hobby. You know, my hobby is loving God. (laughs) It's not a hobby. It's not a side job. It is an all-consuming passion. Love for God must dominate our being. It must be central to our life. So first of all, it speaks of every part of us. But secondly, these all, all, all also speak of loving God down to the very core. The very core. That's your next blank of our being. So it's every part of us, but also down to the very core, the very central part of our being. We are to love God. Does that make sense? The heart, the soul, the mind, the very depth of who we are. This kind of love requires us, that God is requiring of us, can only come from a whole heart. Can't come from a half heart. Can only come from a whole heart. Listen to this, and you might write this down. It is not possible unless it is total. It's short enough to write down. Love for God is not possible unless it is total. Why? Jesus elsewhere said, you cannot love two masters. You either hate the one, love the other, you love the one, hate the others. God has created you and I in such a way that it is impossible for us to give supreme allegiance to two things. And so you have to choose. Love God or love myself. So the question we're asking ourselves again is, do we love God with our whole being? And perhaps you're thinking at this point, wow, that sounds pretty intense, right? Maybe you're asking yourself the question, is that even possible to love God this way? You know, is it even possible to do this? I don't feel like I measure up. And this is where I want to go next, okay? So we've looked at the priority of love, loving God, but I want to look at the possibility of loving God. And I want us to think about two things. Why is it possible to love God this way? 
And how do we go about loving God in this way? Why is it possible to love God in this way? Here's that first big point there in your notes. Our love for God is a response to his love for us. I love the way Mr. Harris brought this out yesterday in yesterday's session. The love of Christ controls me, constrains me, hems me in, moves me in a direction, right? Why is it possible for us to love God completely? Because He first loved us, right? We can love Him because He first loved us. Do you know why it's possible to love God with your whole being? It's because God has loved you first with His whole being. He has loved you with His whole being. He's demonstrated His love for you by giving to you what was most precious to Him. Do you realize God could not have given you something more precious than what He gave to you? The Father gave His Son, His beloved Son. He could not have given to you anything more precious than that. He did not give you his leftovers. He did not give you something peripheral. He did not toss you a bone. He gave everything to you. He gave what was most precious to you. The love that God has shown you and me is greater than you can possibly imagine. It is deeper than you can ever comprehend. I believe that we're going to spend, if you know God, you're going to spend an eternity learning about the love of God. The love of God that surpasses knowledge. God loves you with all that He is. God the Father sent His Son to this earth to go to a cross. I know you've been hearing this. You can't hear this enough. He sent His Son to this earth to be crucified, to die, to be nailed to a cross for you and for me. And Jesus willingly went there. You have to get this. Jesus was not forced to go there. He willingly gave His life up. He did it because He loved us. And on that cross, yes, He suffered physically, but more than that, He took your sin. He took my sin. He took the scum, our scum, our yuck, our sin, our, our, our bad thoughts, our evil, hurtful, angry words, our actions that are sinful actions. He took those on Himself and He paid the price for that. He took the punishment that we deserve because we, we're not good people. We are sinners. And He took that upon Himself. And Jesus laid his life down. And he did it so that we might not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Right? He did it because he loves us. Now until we begin to understand the love that God has for us, we will not be able to respond with the kind of love that is being spoken about right here. Does it make sense? Until we begin to understand the love of Christ for us. God, <clears throat> with our whole being. Our love for God 
is a response to his love for us. I want to tell you a story. The story you find in the Gospels. Jesus was invited once to a man's house to have dinner with him. How nice. And yet it seems like the invitation was not the nicest invitation. It was an invitation by a Pharisee named Simon. And Simon was invited to come into, uh, Simon invited Jesus to come to his house and have this meal. And yet when Jesus comes in, uh, he comes in, Simon didn't offer him any water to wash his feet. Now in those days, that was something you typically did for your host. Because you're wearing these sandals and you're walking on these dusty roads and your feet stink and are dirty. And generally, the accepted custom was you you bring someone into your house, you give them some water, they can wash their feet, you would greet them with a kiss. And I know we don't greet each other with a kiss. Today it'd be like a, a hug or a handshake, but you would greet them kindly and bring them over and you'd have this dinner together, right? But it seems like here Jesus comes in, no water, you know. No kiss, no nice greeting. You know, just come over here, let's have this dinner. Jesus, we need to talk. You know. Maybe maybe Pharisee had some problems with Jesus. You know, it was not the kindest invitation. And in those days, you would recline at a table. So if you ever see reclining at a table, the idea is you kind of laid on your side, and the table's here, and your feet are away from the table because feet stink, and you keep them away from the table. And and you would you would eat like this, and everybody's reclining at the table with their feet out, kind of like a star pattern. So you get the picture. Okay. And here's Jesus and. They're eating this meal, and he's talking to Simon. And all of a sudden, the most unexpected thing happened. This woman burst through the door, and she's weeping. And she looks somewhat like a crazy woman. She comes over to Jesus, and she's just weeping, and she's standing over his feet in in tears. And she's crying uncontrollably. So much that tears are falling off her face onto Jesus' feet. And then she, she gets down, and she takes her hair and wipes Jesus' feet. And she's... And she's kissing his feet. And she has this ointment, this perfume, and she pours it on Jesus' feet. Now, I don't care what culture you live in. This is awkward. This is highly uncomfortable. And to make matters worse, this woman is a harlot. Someone that everyone knows. She's an immoral woman. She's a sinful woman. And here she is touching Jesus' feet and, and, and kissing him. And... But the most startling thing here is not what this woman is doing. Okay, you could just say, oh, she's crazy, you know, she's nuts, you know, we just need to... The most startling thing is what Jesus does, or rather what he doesn't do. What would you do? I know what I would do. I'd be like, ah! you know, I'd be my knee like, don't touch me, you know. That's weird, you know, like, ah, you know, like, I mean, I, I love you, but, you know, no touchy. <laughs> Keep your hands up, right? But Jesus does nothing. Jesus just lets her pour out her affection, her unrivaled affection for him. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus knows what's going on here. But Simon across the table is going, this guy cannot be a godly man. He cannot be a prophet. Because if he were really a godly man, he would know at once that this woman is a sinner, a sinful woman, and he would not let her touch him. 
Right? And that makes sense, right? If this guy's a godly man, he wouldn't let this happen. He wouldn't just sit there. He would act. He would respond. And Jesus tells a story. Jesus knows what Simon is thinking. He says, Simon, let me tell you a story. There was this banker who loaned money out to people. And he loaned money to two guys. One owed him $75,000. The other one owed him $5,000. And they both came to this banker, these two guys who owed him money, and they said, you know, they just got down on their knees, I'm so sorry, I cannot pay, I just don't have any money, I I cannot repay my debt. And the banker looks at these two guys, one owes $75,000, the other one owes $5,000, and he forgives them both. You know what? Forget it. You're covered. Clear. You can go. No more debt. Then he asks Simon this question. He says, Simon, who do you think? Which of the two debtors will love the banker more? You answer the question. Which one? The one who owed 75 or the one who owed 5,000? Who loves the banker more? The 75,000. It's a no debt. It's not a trick question. Jesus was not given a trick question. It was a clear, and Simon says, well, clearly the one who owed him more. And Jesus says, you're right. You're right. Now, and then Jesus turns to the woman, and this is very interesting. He turns to the woman, but he's speaking to Simon, kind of behind him. And know what he says. I'm going to read it right here. Fine, because I lost my place in my notes here, but here we go. He says, do you see this woman, Simon? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she hasn't stopped kissing me. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to her, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he was forgiven little, loves little. What's the point? The one who is forgiven much, loves much. The one who is forgiven little, loves little. Our love for God is what? A response to his love for us. That woman knew she was a sinner. That woman was aware of her yuck, the muck in her life. But she was also aware of something else. She was aware that she was being loved by God. And that love just blew her away. And she responded with unrivaled affection and absolute loyalty to Jesus Christ. She didn't care what anyone else thought. She was going to show her affection for Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? The very godly man, his name is Jerry White. Some of you may know him. And he once said something that has stuck with me for years. I've never forgotten. And you have it there in your notes, so I want you to write it down. He says, if you're going to walk with God, if you're going to walk with God, you have to settle two things in your heart. Two things have to be settled in your heart. Uh, Whenever someone says that, you have to perk up. Like, whoa. If I'm going to walk with God, two things have to be settled in my heart, what are they? Here's the first one. God loves me with all that he is. God loves me with all that he is. 
If you're going to walk with God, you have to settle that in your heart. That God loves you with all that He is. But the second thing you have to settle in your heart is this. I love Him with all that I am. I love Him with all that I am. If those two things are not settled in your heart, you won't walk very far with God. You have to know that He loves you. And you also have to know that you love Him. God's love for you calls forth from you the same kind of love. God's love for you is total. And He's asking from you a total kind of love. Does this make sense so far? Are you following with me? Here's the question. Do you love God with your whole being? That's the question we're asking ourselves. And behind that question is another question. Are you aware of God's love for you? Are you aware of God's love for you? All right, final point here, and it's on the back of your notes, and there are no blanks. This is for you to take home and to think about. Or at some point later on even, I would encourage you to pull the, the back of this sheet and walk through some of this. But it's questions. the question is, how can I love God with my whole being? And just have some practical thoughts here. This is not meant to be comprehensive, but to point you in a direction. How can I love God with my whole being? Here's my first suggestion, is be honest with yourself. Ask yourself that question honestly and face it honestly. And here are some extra questions to ask yourself. What or who do I value most in life? What or who holds the chief place in my heart? If you're struggling to answer that question, you can ask some further questions here. How do I spend my time, my energy, my resources, my money? It can be an indicator of what holds the affection of my heart. Here's a big one for me. What am I preoccupied with? What, what do I think about all the time? Is it love for God? Is it Jesus Christ? Is it a relationship with Him? Or is it other things? And God is on the periphery of my life. What do I want? What are my chief desires? That's trying to aim at that first one, an unrivaled affection, right? But the other part here is the loyalty. Who am I loyal to? Who am I committed to? Who rules my life? Who has the last say in my life? Now, face those questions honestly. And if you don't, if you, if you realize, I don't love God with my whole being, then repent. That's the answer. Repent means to change your mind. The change of mind is just to agree with God. That is wrong. It's wrong not to love God with all that I am. Just face it and acknowledge it and repent and tell God. Tell Him. Be honest. Says, God, I have failed. I have not loved you with all that I am. I am sorry. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Put within me a heart that loves you with all that I am. Give that to me. Ask Him for it. And that's the next point there. Ask, seek, and knock. It's a spiritual principle. It's an awesome principle. 
ask and you will what? Receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. So, ask God to show you the love that he has for you. Ask him to do that. He says, ask and you will what? Receive. But don't be passive about it. Ask him, but then seek. Right? So ask, you can be, can be kind of passive. But seek, you can't be passive. So seek to understand the love that God has for you. Think about the cross. Think about what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Seek to understand the love that he has for you. Read the Gospels. Again, Mr. Harris and I did not connect on this, but I just saw a lot of connecting parts to the two sermons. He said two things. He says, remember and worship. Remember that, those two things? If you're not loving God, if you want to know how to love God, remember worship. Remember the cross. Remember the love that God has for you. But then here's my third point. Cultivate a wholehearted love for God. I love that word cultivate. It makes me think of a garden, right? We cultivate gardens. And a love relationship with God is like a garden. Really, any relationship with a fellow human being is like a garden. And if you're to cultivate a healthy garden, you're going to have to pull the weeds. You're going to have to water. You're going to have to you know, get the bugs away. My wife is having trouble with bugs right now in her garden. You're going to have to mend the soil. You're gonna, there's things you're going to have to do, right? What are things that you can do to cultivate your love for God? One there, and you have it down your notes, worship God. Worship Him. Meditate on His greatness, His goodness, His faithfulness. Tell God how much He means to you. Just do that. Spend time telling God how great He is, how much you love Him. How awesome he is. Here's my encouragement to you. Don't make prayer just about asking God for things. Take time in prayer to tell God how much he means to you. And if you have trouble doing that, go to the Psalms because they can really help you. They can give you words with which to worship God. There's a book here that we sell. It's in the back. You can ask Miss Lydia if you want to buy it, but I would recommend it. It's called How to Worship Jesus Christ. All of our students have to read it. It's, by, it's written by the founder of this school. And it's a real practical book on how to worship Jesus, how to worship God, how to cultivate your love for God. Okay, that's one. Number two, read, meditate, and memorize God's word. Here, be very, very careful. Don't do it just as a ritual. This is... It's something I want to encourage you. Don't do it just to check it off a list or to make yourself feel less guilty. Approach God's word because you love God and you want to know what he says and you want to hear from him. You want to be with him and you want to hear his word. So come to God's word with that kind of heart. And then finally, and this is an important one to me, it's something the Lord's been speaking into my life recently it's this, relate every part of your life to God. Relate every, learn to do that. I believe you can start doing that right now. Relate every aspect of your life. Keep turning back to God in your thoughts every 30 seconds, every 10 seconds. Every time you meet someone, Lord, 
guide me. Lord, work through me. Lord, help me to minister to this person. Lord, I don't have the answers. Lord, I'm frustrated. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. It's awesome. Thank you, God. You just talk to God. Relate to God. Every aspect of your life. Your joys, your friends, your jobs, your struggles, your decisions. Tell God you want His will more than your own. Tell Him that. Tell Him that you trust Him. Tell Him that you need Him. Tell Him that you love Him. It's a relationship, right? It's a relationship. I've walked with the Lord for now 23 years. It's like, wow, just adding it up. 23 years since I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I can say to you that God has always been faithful to me. He's always been, he's been so good to me. So, so kind to me. He has led me. He has provided for me. He has surprised me with incredible things. He has been such a good friend. Such a loving father. And I say that he's also chastened me. He's disciplined me. He's convicted me. That's what a good friend does, right? A loving father. And I say all of that because what I want to say to you is you can trust God. He's trustworthy. You can love God with all of your being. You have nothing to lose. You have everything to gain by loving him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great, great love that you have for us. And I ask, Father, that you would open our eyes to that. That we might respond with a total love back for you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.